Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So once again, real estate is all about making the most money in the quickest time for the least risk and the lowest aggravation. And you want to buy a property where the upside is greater than the downside by enough of the margin to make it worthwhile. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyne Shum and in this episode, we continue the conversation with Steve McKnight who will uncover the nuts and bolts of his name it, number it and numb it strategy to minimize your risk when investing in property. Discover how you can implement his methods and get a chunk of money in your bank account right now. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. McKnight uses the example of his first ever property to reveal the disturbing shocks and lifelong lessons that he experienced in his property investing journey. So Dave and I had been to the Robert Kiyosaki seminar and we had looked around Melbourne to try and find positively geared properties because at that Robert Kiyosaki seminar, I can't remember much, but I can remember a, a New South Wales real estate agent getting up and saying, I don't understand why people negatively gear when you can positively gear. Look, here's an example of a property where the rent is higher than the expenses, so it'll put money in your pocket and it'll go up in value. And that was a revelation to me because I knew all about negative gearing, being an accountant and understanding the tax side of it but I had not known that there were things called positively geared properties. So following that, Dave and I had come back to Melbourne, the seminar was in Sydney, and we had looked around Melbourne for positively geared properties. And as hard as we looked, we couldn't find a single one, even out in the boondocks. Uh, we, we just couldn't find a property where the numbers stacked up. So we, uh, a friend of mine from years before had, had mentioned Ballarat. And I had, at the time, funnily enough, completely dismissed it and said, oh, you'll never get positive, pardon me, you'll never get capital appreciation in the country. So why would you bother investing there? You're going to lose your money. Don't do it. Well, so they thought they'd drive up to Ballarat and take a look around. On our first visit or first or second visit, again, we struggled to find anything, but uh, we did meet a real estate agent called Mick Golding, who we affectionately called Mickey G. And Mickey G uh, put us in the car, drove us around, and we ended up in a in a housing commission area of, of West Wendery where angels feared to live called West Wendery, of Ballarat called West Wendery. And you, you know you're in trouble if you turn up to an area and there are shopping trolleys parked on the nature strip. That's just that's an indication of the mindset of the area. Also, a large proportion of people in that area rented because they were government on government assistance. And any area where a large proportion of, 
of people rent and are on government assistance, you know that it's it's going to be a, a more aggravating area to invest in. But anyway, Dave and I didn't know that at the time. We we looked at a number of properties. I remember Mick showed us through some ex-housing commission stock that the government was selling off in one particular property or and the floorboards had been taken up and, and burnt and it was a real shock for a guy growing up in middle-class Melbourne to uh, come and see how uh, some of the other half lived. And in this part of Ballarat, all the streets are named after flowers. So there's marigold, begonia, etc. And And this house was in Violet Avenue. And, and Dave and I nicknamed that whole street Violent Avenue after that because it was such a shock. But we ended up, Mick had showed us some houses and standard real estate agent trick. The last one he showed us that day was a, a privately owned home uh, owned by two older people. One of them, unfortunately, had, had come down with cancer and had to sell up the house to move closer to the hospital. So we ended up buying that house on the nature strip that afternoon, rented it back to them for a short while, and it was positive cash flow. From this first experience, McKnight encountered to learn all he could of the world of property investing and to learn from anyone he encountered. This desire for education proved successful as McKnight quickly gained knowledge about vendor financing, which would change his entire investment strategy. Uh, not long after buying that property, my wife and I had agreed to go and do some uh, a honeymoon in Vancouver and uh, coincided with some more training on marketing that I was keen to do and I met a fellow participant at that seminar, Canadian guy, his name was Chuck and he said that he was a real estate investor and I said, oh, that's great, Chuck, you know, tell me about how you invest in real estate and he said, well, you know, I can't remember how many properties he owned but it was a number enough to be impressive so it might have been 20 houses or something, <coughs> pardon me, and he sat down and he explained the concept of vendor finance to me. In short, he would buy a house for dollars, 100,000 say, and he would then sell it to someone else for $125,000. He would pay 6% on his mortgage and he would charge them say 8%. So he'd make a margin on the price and a margin on the interest and that would be his positive cash flow. And, and over time, he would receive an annuity payment in the form of a positive cash flow every week or fortnight or month or however often he collected the mortgage payment. And he would say, he could, <coughs> me, Tyrone, he could be in the deal for no money down because if his deposit was matched by the deposit the person was paying, we figured we could be in it for, for nothing down on the deal because if the deposit that we paid was matched by the deposit that we received, or this is what Chuck would explain, then he, he could be in it for nothing down. And that was how he was able to buy so many properties. Uh, and it was like the blinkers had been taken off. So I, I remember coming back to the hotel room, calling up Dave that night and saying, Dave, Dave, I've got some exciting news. And he said, whoa, whoa, Steve, hang on, before you tell me your exciting news, Mickey G rang up and said that there's someone who would be interested in buying the house off us for, I think it was $20,000 more. He goes, that'd be great because, you know, we only we only bought it for whatever we did. I think we bought it for 54000 or something like that. And to make a, a $20,000 profit in a couple of months is an incredible return. And I said, well, Dave, we could do that, but before we do it, what about this for a concept? And I explained to him what I just explained to you. And he said, well, if you think it might work, 
then let's give it a go. With this new knowledge, McKnight was ready and waiting to get back to Australia to prove his new skills. So came back to Australia and uh, using the, the marketing that I'd learned at this seminar, put an ad in the local paper in Ballarat, uh, trying to find someone who would want to uh, buy the property off us. And I remember being all enthusiastic and didn't get a single call for a couple of days. And then finally someone rang up and they said, not really interested in the house, but interested about what you said that I don't need a deposit or much of a deposit. Anyway, that was, he ended up uh, buying the house off us on vendor terms and and that was the beginning of, of how we bought so many properties so quickly. We would use the money in the accounting practice to fund the deposits on properties that were sort of $50,000 or less. Um, doing the maths, 20% deposits, 10 grand, plus say another five grand for closing costs. So we'd need 15 grand to buy a house and then we would sell it on vendor terms, pardon me, and try and get as much of a deposit as we could. And then uh, we would get the positive cash flow difference on what we bought it for and sold it for and what our mortgage was and the interest rate. And that was all well and good. And then the government introduced the first homeowners grant. And then all of a sudden, the number of people who could take advantage of what we were offering exploded. People could use their first homeowners grant to pay for the deposit. And, and that meant that we would get more money and could make this work even more. So we would go and buy properties. We would stagger the settlement dates. We would run ads in the local paper, uh, own the home for less than it would cost to rent because that's how we made it win-win. People would ring up. And then after a while, we figured out rather than us looking for properties, we could empower them to look for properties and provided it met our criteria, we'd buy it and sell it back to them. And they would, let's say that we'd buy a $50,000 house 20% deposit, 5,000 for closing costs, we'd be in for 15. They would give us $7,000 plus usually a couple of grand extra, 10,000 or so, uh, and and we would be in the house for five grand and then we would be making positive cash flow returns. And uh, eventually what we found happened was that values had gone up because prices went up and people would cash us out and we would get a lump sum payment, which would be our price margin, our unamortized price margin difference between what we bought it for and sold it for. And then what that would do is there would be a pity because it would end the positive cash flow because they paid us out, but then we would have a big chunk of money in our bank account. Next, you'll hear how McKnight quickly built up his observably large portfolio, one deal at a time. So Dave and I saw the writing on the wall that while it was great to have the positive cash flow from vendor finance sales, it was it was finite. It would end, and so we we took those lump sums that we got, and this was Dave's initiative. And kudos to him. Uh, he went down to Tasmania and started buying blocks of, of units together. Um, Dave would source them and buy them, and and that was how we moved out of vendor finance and into traditional rentals. And so we would uh, we would employ this principle called multiplication by division, where we would buy a house for fifty, keep the numbers simple. It would go up to a hundred. We'd sell it at a hundred and buy back two $50,000 houses in another emerging area. And that's how we, we bought so much property so, so quickly. It sounds flippant. It sounds like that's the highlights, but it was one deal at a time. Uh, we were assisted with a really strong tailwind in the form of the first homeowners grant. Uh, we created a real estate product 
found a market for it and monetized it, which is, again, this business principle of real estate investing that I spoke of before. There's no real difference between business and real estate. If you can find a market, or as Robert, Robert Allen once said in a training, find hungry fish, which is find, a, find someone who wants what you want, create irresistible bait in the form of a really great offer, and then drop that into the market and you'll create a feeding frenzy. And we didn't know it at the time, but that's kind of what we did. And you could do the same thing today in real estate, uh, perhaps not with vendor finance because prices have gone up so high. Uh, it, it wouldn't work on the same basis that we did it, which was owning it for less than what you would have to rent it for. Uh, and the laws of vendor finance have changed a little bit because people were using it, unfortunately, to rip people off. Uh, but there, there's always an opportunity if you can mm-hmm. if you can find what the market wants and provide it for them. So long as people live in houses, you can make money on their real estate. So the opportunity may change, but the concept won't. With so many properties under his belt, it's undeniable that McKnight has seen it all. When you've you've been investing in real estate for 15 plus years, you've bought hundreds of properties around the world, Australia, New Zealand, United States. Uh, You've you've probably seen everything there is to see and sometimes even twice. (laughs) It's... uh, there's never a dull moment, that's for sure. Coming up after the break, we'll take a look at the strategies McKnight uses to minimize risk in order to succeed. I've come up with a, a three-pronged strategy which I'm happy to share with you now that I hope will help the listeners. As well as the habits that he employs to stay at the top of his game. I think the due diligence that you can do before going into a property transaction really sets you up for success. As McKnight explains in his own unique way, accountants hate risk and yet property investors must live and breathe risk in order to succeed. To conquer this discrepancy, McKnight forged his own strategy to address, evaluate and eventually overcome any risk. When you're trained as an accountant, what they do is they perform a lobotomy and take off that part of your brain that is willing to accept risk. And that's why accountants are so risk averse. And so in order to take on risks, uh, I had to find a way of replacing that portion of my brain uh, that, that would allow that to happen. And it's very hard to find a way to overcome risk and in any transaction there's risk and I've come up with a, a three-pronged strategy which I'm happy to share with you now that I hope will help the listeners. So let's say that we've got a property that we want to buy and we think it's really good but we're not sure if we want to buy it, we're not sure what's going to go wrong and I often ask people at the seminars that I run, can you think of a really great deal that you didn't buy that you wish you did? And normally everyone can go, yeah, yeah, you know, a property that I talked myself out of or wasn't sure about it. So this is how to how to help people in that situation, not make that mistake. So it, it's three N's in Finelli's. The first one is when you've got risk, you've got to name it. You've got to you've got to explain what that risk is. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid the property is going to go down in value? Are you, are you afraid the tenant's going to trash the property? Are you afraid you're not going to be able to find a tenant? Are you afraid? You don't have the skills to be able to pull this off. Like try and identify what you're afraid of because if you can name what you're afraid of, uh, you can do something about it. But if you're 
if you can't name what you're afraid of, if you're afraid of the dark, for instance, you're afraid of the boogeyman, you're, you're kind of afraid of something that doesn't really exist, although maybe that's a bad example because they kind of – anyway, if you can name it and be specific about it, then you can do something about it, so, which brings us to the second point, which is after you've named it, you've got to number it. You've got to try and assign a value to the risk. All right, so let's say that you're worried that you're going to pay too much for the property. How much are you, might you be paying too much? Is it 10000 Is it 20000 Is it 100000 uh, When I first got started and we were buying $50,000 houses, I was afraid that we would lose $50,000. And that was a lot of money to us at, at that point in time. But really, we weren't losing $50,000. We bought it for fifty, and we had to fire sell it back to the market at 40000 Then really what we were losing is 10000 plus purchase and sale costs. So we weren't really losing putting risking 50, we might have been risking 20 or $30,000. And not understanding what we were really risking meant that we were perhaps passing deals that we should have accepted. So um, first of all, you've got to name it. Second of all, you've got to number it. And then the first, third strategy is you've got to numb it, which is devise strategies to mitigate the risk. So you don't have to take on a risk, what I call a naked risk, which means that you just take it on, you don't do anything about it other than hope that it doesn't happen. This three-step strategy is the key to McKnight's success and is so simple that anyone can learn to perform it. For McKnight, this strategy is what keeps him sleeping easy at night with the knowledge that any risk he took have been subdued. If you've named it, if you've numbered it and you've got a strategy to try and numb it, then that allows you to take on, on deals with, with risk and, and still proceed and sleep at night. So more recently, since 2012, I've set up a, a property fund in the United States, or property, an Australian property fund to buy property in the United States of America. And we've bought uh, over $140 million worth of real estate. And the only way that, that I've been able to buy some of the properties that I've bought is through that um, name it, number it, and number it strategy. Uh, because that some of them evaluate opportunities there have been some problems and I haven't necessarily known exactly how I was going to solve that problem, but by brainstorming with smart people and coming up with strategies, it, it meant that we could still buy it nonetheless and have the confidence that we would turn it around over time. So once again, uh, real estate is all about making the most money in the quickest time for the least risk and the lowest aggravation and you want to buy a property where the upside is greater than the downside by enough of a margin uh, to make it worthwhile. So we're talking about risk and the way that we number or the way that we manage our risk is to name it, number it, and uh, name it, number it, and number it. Excellent. And so if you, can do, if you can do those things, then you're able to invest at a level and a mindset that exceeds what most people are able to do and therefore you can take on deals that other people can't and invest in ways that other people aren't aware of. McKnight isn't shy to reveal the help and knowledge that he has acquired over the years from friends, mentors and other experienced investors. You know, I think a mentor is someone that, that goes to the effort of knowing you a bit, a bit better than just an author of a book. So I think I've had influences, Robert Kiyosaki, John Burley, Robert Allen, uh, Ron Legrand, uh, Don Campbell, uh, just to name a few off the top of my head. And then I've had mentors. So I would, I would call Dave Bradley a mentor. Um, Dave Bradley is, is the, the shrewdest person I know when it comes to, to money and, and property investing. Dave just has a talent of being able to sniff out every last cent in a deal and he's a very smart deal maker 
And I learned a lot from Dave Bradley and I'll be forever thankful for the time that Dave and I had together and uh, and enjoy catching up with Dave a couple of times a year, even now, and, and trading stories and reminiscing on some of the old days. Uh, more recently, uh, I've uh, a, a guy over here in the United States of America, Stu Silver, who's a, an older Jewish guy who would be, I'm guessing, in his early to mid-70s, who has been investing for 30 or 40 years. And Stu, who I call Uncle Zally, has taken me under his wing somewhat and over the last five or six years has really uh, shepherded and mentored me in the field of commercial real estate, which is now my expertise. And uh, he has uh, been a great confidant when I've been feeling lonely because when you kind of operate at a level that I do, there's not a lot of people out there that really understand what's going on. So he, he's been able to, to share some of my burdens and to encourage me and to also guide me and to give more than anything a lot of wisdom. And I'm not too proud as to be able to say that I need to learn from people smarter than me. And so whether it is Stu Silver or someone that I meet, a valuer, an accountant, a, a someone at a seminar, we're all, we all have expertise in our own areas and I'm, I'm always open to, to try and learn. I think the two most dangerous words you can ever utter are I know because if you say I know, then you go from being teachable to unteachable. So I'm always, well, that's, that's interesting. Can you tell me more? Can you teach me? Can you show me? Can you tell me? Uh, because I'm, I'm eager to learn. I'm eager to improve. I, 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 you can always be better. And uh, so I'm, I, I look forward to those opportunities. I look for those opportunities to, to learn from other people, not only their successes, but also their failures. And, uh, and I enjoy that. But McKnight, the most important personal habit for a property investor is unwavering, conscientious scrutiny at all steps of property investment. Because in the world of property investment, to be optimistic is to be blinded. I think the due diligence that you can do before going into a property transaction really sets you up for success. So I've created a due diligence process and I'm in the process of turning that into a, a, a product. But until I do, this, this program, which has got a preliminary and a, and a comprehensive phase to it, is a habit. Uh, it's, a, it's a checklist. It's, it's kind of like getting in a plane and, and doing a, a pre-flight checklist. Just to check the list, check everything off, check, 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 make sure you don't miss something, do a little test, run through the numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And I think what that does is it protects me from myself because when you, when you find a piece of real estate, it's very easy to form an emotional bond with it and, and perhaps be glass half full and overlook things that you really ought to not overlook. So having a due diligence checklist and a due diligence template and due diligence methodology that is forged on the back of buying hundreds of properties and millions of dollars worth of commercial real estate uh, really is a, is a habit and a strength that protects you from buying a property that you should otherwise say no to. Among buying hundreds of properties, McKnight somehow found the time to write the best-selling property investment book from zero to 130 properties in three and a half years. The first book I wrote was 2003 from 0 to 130 properties in three and a half years and it, it charted the story of how Dave and I went from zero to 130 properties in three and a half years. Now, listeners are somewhat familiar with that story because they, they've heard me describe it over 
the last uh, podcast and this one, but there is more information in the book about the deals that we bought and the strategy and and lots more funny stories about the silly things that happened along the way. Uh, plus, there are also some other uh, accounts of people who've been following my real estate training and the successes that they've had. So it's it's a very good read. I mean, it's been Australia's best-selling business book ever, sold over 300,000 copies, and uh, and it, a book doesn't do that unless there's some value in it. So for those of you who haven't read From Nought to 130 Properties in Three and a Half Years, go to the local bookstore and pick up a copy or, or grab it on Amazon Kindle or, or whatever you want. Um, it would be a good place to start. I then wrote a follow-up book from North to 260 plus properties, which talked about how life changes once you become financially free. And then more recently, I, I put out a book called Millionaire, which is uh, a book that uh, I wrote in conjunction with Stu Silver, my mentor who I mentioned before, and it contains 260, I think, insights uh, and, and pearls of wisdom which Stu and I shared. The context of it was if we were only going to give one more seminar and we had our nearest and dearest in the crowd, what insights, what wisdom, what uh, what ideas, what concepts would we want to share? What would we want to say to future generations who will come after us, who will never meet? So we, we put that book together, which I think is actually my favourite book out of all of them. For you listeners out there that want to get in touch with Steve McKnight, head to propertyinvesting.com where you can also receive McKnight's special property investory offer, a free copy of From Zero to Financial Freedom, How to Do It Today to get you started on your own property investment journey. Also, if you want to hear about Steve McKnight's journey on how he built a staggering portfolio of 500 plus properties or just want to hear about how one of his tenants was the ex-US President Barack Obama, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com. Simply type in the search bar Steve McKnight and select the episode to listen and learn more about his story. You can also get the full transcript and show notes on our website. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.